Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jeff. I'm not running for office. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm a, com- I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a hundred pounder, and I was a mess. Uh, let me get the numbers out of the way. Uh, I have been doing this since July 5th, 2009. July 5th was not a uh, coincidental date. It was the day after the July 4th party. Uh, but uh, that's 2,793 one days at a time because it's one day at a time. It doesn't matter if I have 2,792 days before today. What really matters is what happens today. I have lost uh, 110, 109, 111 pounds, something in that range, uh, six, between 14 and 16 inches in the waist, a couple of X's in the shirt, and uh, a lot of other things, uh, which we'll start to talk about soon. Uh, what it was like, what happened and what it was like, it is like now. What it was like, uh, I don't want to belabor a lot. I have pictures that show what it was like physically, uh, which wasn't a, a really lovely sight. There's two sets of pictures there. There's sort of a, uh, you know, my uh, disease through time, through my, you know, through my ages. And uh, also there's a paper picture, uh, which is me at what I believe was my highest weight. I didn't really weigh then because I couldn't find a scale that would tell me accurately what I weighed. Uh, but it was around 335 pounds. I was wearing a black vest because it was swimming. <laughs> or not, you'll see. Anyway, the, I, you know, I, I was you know, really kind of born a compulsive eater uh, because you know, my mom was a compulsive overeater. I do not blame my mother for my disease. Uh, she didn't teach me the, the best things, but she did the best she could, and she was, woke up every day and had the same struggle that I understand. And so I'm not casting blame on anybody, but she was a compulsive overeater. My father was a heavy eater, meaning he could stop but rarely did. Uh, and, uh, and, and they taught, you know, I could be, in my home videos, I could be seen doing two things, swimming or eating ice cream, and apparently the ice cream one. Uh, but, you know, but the real story is that there was no safe place for me because, you know, I was a fat kid. You know, I don't know if I really need to say anything else. I was a fat kid, you know, I, before the age of political correctness. And so, you know, people talk about, oh, I'm afraid that this kid or that kid will get bullied. Well, I understand being bullied. And I understand being made fun of. I had no safe place because the kids made fun of me. Uh, you know, there's a song by Carol King called uh, I Feel the Earth Move, which they would sing every time I walked by. Aww. Yeah, I can't hear that song without doing my slowly I turn moment. You know, it's just, uh, it's just not was not good. And their parents made fun of me because that was okay. Uh, And then my parents were ashamed by me because they were ashamed of themselves. Right? They were, they were, you know, grotesquely overweight, morbidly obese, both of them. Uh, And to tow around a, you know, a plump, husky, chubby, you can can pick the adjective, kid, was shameful for them. It it, it hurt them. Uh, And, uh, you know, and and so, uh, and teachers, even my teachers and, and authorities, doctors, would make fun of me. Camp counselors, you know, I mean, everyone made fun of me. Everyone, you know, I was, I was fair game. 
Uh, and so there, there's, you grow up with no safety. And, and that sort of followed me through my life uh, until I found these rooms. And even once I found these rooms, it's hard for me to feel safe. It really is because I, I don't really know what it is. I really don't know what it is. Uh, I you know, went through uh, you know, adolescence, the fat guy, which you know, isn't great for your social life. I went to college during the sexual revolution, and I was revolting. Uh, but what, what, I, uh, what I came really to, fi- to find out, yeah, there's, a, there's an author who talks about uh, what it takes to be an expert in anything, and he says it takes 10,000 hours to be an expert. Well, let me tell you, I am an expert in dieting. Okay, I'm an expert in failed dieting because uh, every day, you know, know, 10,000 hours, if I worry about food an hour a day, that's only 30 years of worrying. I'm way past that. Uh, And, and, you know, every day I'd get up and every day I'd be on a diet and most days it would end by lunch. Uh, Occasionally it would last till 3.30. Once in a while (laughs) through dinner and on rare occasions, a day, a week, a month, six months, eight months, uh, and so I'm also an expert in successful dieting because I have successfully dieted. I've successfully lost over 50 pounds at least 10 times in my life, over 100 pounds, probably four or five. Uh, and so I actually know how to lose weight. You know, I know how to diet. Not happy about it, not content, but I know how to diet. So I'm an expert in dieting, both successful and failed. And what I have learned is that no matter what I did, uh, I, I would always gain the weight back with interest. As, uh, as, as it said, uh, you know, brief periods of recovery followed always by a still worse relapse. And that is, in fact, my experience. I would lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. I had five sizes of clothing, and when I went to the closet, I played closet roulette because I had no idea what would fit. Uh, and again, that's all part of not being safe, right? If I don't know, if I, you know, oh, I'm going to a party, I can't wait to wear that shirt, oh, it doesn't fit, that's unsafe for me. You know? And uh, as you can see, I'm now sartorially splendid. Uh, but, uh, but I really do think about what I wear, even, you know, uh, you know to the gym. Not that I visit there often, but uh, uh, even, you know, because, you know, I, I couldn't worry about it. Because when I was a kid, I was in Huskies. I went to the big man store. By the time I was 14 or 15, it was called the He-Man shop. And I assure you there wasn't a He-Man within miles of this place. But when I was done buying these ugly clothing, these ugly clothes, I would walk across the street to the pizzeria and have a couple of slices to, to salve my feelings. Now, if that isn't the definition of cunning, baffling, and powerful... I don't know what it is. And so that really brings me to the bottom line of what it was like. I did things to myself that were against my self-interest and that I didn't want to do. I did not want to eat, but I did anyway. And that is really the, the definition of being an addict, right? It's filling a hole inside me with something outside me that I really don't want to do. I didn't want to do it. I did not want to eat. I did not want to be the fat kid. I did not want to have a date on Friday or Saturday night when I was in high school or college. You know, my dates in college was pints of haagen I did not want that life, but I did it anyway. I did it anyway. Not exactly a happy moment or a proud moment, but it is the truth. Uh, so I am an addict. I am a food addict. And what that means is that I don't tell the truth to anybody, including myself. Right, because the first victim of addiction is the truth. I lie to myself, and then it's easy to lie to you, and I did. 
I, I cheated, I stole, I manipulated, I, because your opinion of me was more important than my opinion of me, because my opinion of me was so terrible. I had no self-esteem. Any esteem that I got was a reflected glow from you. And so I needed for you to think of me as what, what I thought you wanted me to be. And so I, I did all. I, I lied. I, che- I lied a lot. I cheated at anything. I manipulated. I cut every corner I could. Rules were for other people. I grew up in New York, so it was a natural outgrowth of my upbringing. And, 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 and you know, really, you know, and, and, and I, I embraced it. You know, I embraced it. I became a character because I wanted to control the way you saw me because I wanted you to think of me in a certain way. You know, I, I have a couple of kids, and when they went to, uh, to grade school, I volunteered for everything, and to the point where they gave me a service award when they graduated from, from grade school, and I was really proud of that until I realized that I did that not because I wanted to, you know, to do something good for the kids. I did that because I wanted the parents, because I figured they were going to notice me anyway. Who's the fat guy in the corner is not the conversation I wanted to have. It's like, that guy's a great guy. He works really hard for the, the school and the kids. You know, and that's why I did it. I, I always said that, uh, that if there was a Volunteers Anonymous, I would really, I would be the first member and I'd want to be the president. <laughs> because that, you know, because I wanted you to, to, to like me, you know, to like me and to notice me in the way I wanted you to notice me, not, you know, who's the angry fat guy glowering in the corner. Because that's what the other option for me would have been. Um, and that's what it was like. That's what it was like. Uh, you know, in two, uh, I, I had a brief, stopped in Overeaters Anonymous in the 80s. Uh, I came in at 270, left at 200. Uh, it was a great diet with group support and a very active social life, making up for the time I was revolting in college. But I did not work the program. I worked the rooms, but I didn't work the program. Uh, and uh, and I, I left, and uh, as my friend Harlan says, uh, when, I, when you leave OA, the graduation song is, Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? And I was off and running. And I gained 100 and I lost 40. And I gained 60 and I lost 30. And I gained 50 and I lost 70. And then I gained 100. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's, yeah, I yo-yoed my way through you know, my adulthood. Uh, I, uh, right after I graduated college, I lost 100 pounds, kept it up for five years. And my knuckles were so white, they glowed. You know, I mean, I just I was hanging on for dear life. Uh, my mom passed away. I hurt myself, and the doctor said, "Take these this pain medication with two with dairy." What I heard was, "Take this medication with two pints of Hagen Dazs." Uh, you know, that's not what he meant, but that's what I did. And I, I gained a bunch of weight. Anyway, it was you know, blah blah blah. I mean, we all know the story: up and down, and 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 really ugly things, and doing ugly things. So in 2009, I found myself completely bankrupt. Not, I didn't declare bankruptcy, although I was broke. Uh, I got a bad business deal. I was morally bankrupt. I was, I was you know, financially bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. And I was really, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, I think of myself as an optimist through all of this. I was contemplating suicide. Uh, but I had a couple kids, and I didn't think that they'd get the insurance money if I actually killed myself. Uh, so I then decided to take, and forgive me if this offends anyone, I decided to take what for me seemed to be the easier, softer way and get a gastric bypass. Uh, and so I went uh, to the doctor and they went, they take you through some informational seminars where they showed you that you could eat, you know, uh, three meals the size of, you know, maybe, you know, two inches in diameter, like, you know, two ounces of chicken and a sprig of broccoli. 
And I said to myself, I can't be that guy. I can't live that way. I need food, you know, to exist. Uh, and uh, and I went to see the physician himself, and he said, you're a great candidate. I asked him how many people he killed, by the way. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you got to do that. Uh, and he was honest and told me that he killed a couple people, but that he wasn't going to kill me. And I said, okay. And he said, look, he slapped me on the back, and he said, uh, go see the shrink. She'll tell me you're fine, and we'll do the surgery. And as I walked out, I said, you know, if I'm going to go to a shrink, I better find out if I'm fine. I'm not going to some rubber stamp shrink who's going to say, you're great, you know, go get the $27,000 surgery, which, by the way, I would have paid absolutely zero for because I have great health insurance. Uh, but, uh, you know, I... I I said, this, this doesn't feel right to me. So I found the guy that I had known from the first time I was in program. He was a therapist. I asked him to see me professionally. He refused. But he said he would see me for coffee for two hours the, two, the next day. And he asked me into the program. And he said, basically, what he said was, and these are his words, not mine. He said, you can mutilate your body and come to OA, or you can come to OA and not have to mutilate your body. And if it doesn't take, the surgeon will be there in three months. So that was on July 2nd or well, first or excuse me, first or second, and so I decided I would enter on the fifth after I had that one last binge, because that was how I looked at life. It was forever tomorrow. Your know, life was going to start tomorrow. I was going to go on a diet tomorrow, but tomorrow never came. The goalpost always moved. The first became the second. Monday became Tuesday. Oh, I, I blew it this week. You know, how about two weeks from now? Not tomorrow, right? Two weeks from now. How about next? Oh, the first and next month I'll start. That's really how I lived my life, because I was waiting for my life to begin. And, uh, but I did go on July 5th, and when I walked in the door, uh, he handed me a big book. I'd seen it once or twice before, but never really studied it. Uh, but if I looked at that big book, the first thing I looked at was the doctor's opinion. And if you look at the doctor's opinion, and, and my personal opinion, it tells me everything that I really need to know about my condition. It says that I have an allergy and an obsession. So, I'm a game show producer by trade, and I like facts, right? So, I go to the dictionary, because I want to find out, what do you mean I have an allergy? I don't break out in hives. You know, I can eat all the chocolate I want. I don't, you know, I don't cough. You know, I don't, I don't sweat. Well, maybe a little, but, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't have that kind of physical reaction. Well, allergy in the dictionary means an unusual reaction to a substance. And I have an allergy because my unusual reaction to sugar and certain other foods, flour and sugar, salt and flour, salt and sugar, is that I want to eat more. I can't stop eating it. I can't stop eating it on my own. You know the old saying, a compulsive overeater doesn't stop when he's full, he stops when he's tired. Uh, and that was, my, that, was, that was my experience. I didn't stop when I was full. I stopped when I was either tired or really sick. And let me tell you the kind of things I ate through, right? I ate through chronic uh, chronic uh, um, uh, you know, acid reflux, sleep apnea, uh, a 56-inch waist, uh, you know, sweating uh, profusely when I didn't exercise, not really being able to exercise, and smelling like a fat guy. And when I say that, I don't mean to insult anybody, but there's an odor that you, know, that you sort of take on you know, uh, because you're sweating all the time. And, you know, and, and so being that sort of semi-social pariah, the only reason I wasn't really a social pariah was because I forced myself onto people with the force of my personality, which is not always a good thing, by the way, in case you were wondering. Uh, so I have, I have an allergy. All right? The unusual reaction, I can't stop. I say I don't have a physical reaction. I don't have hives, but look at the other physical reactions I just talked about. I also have an obsession. So I looked up the word obsession. Obsession, the domination of one's thoughts or feelings by a persistent idea, image, or desire. 
Well, that certainly describes my you know, outlook towards food. I had a persistent domination that I felt that eating would solve my problem. Eating would solve my problem. Now, my problem was that I was fat. But eating would solve my problem. Cunning, baffling, and powerful, right? So if you look at the doctor's opinion, it says we have an obsession and we have an allergy. And we've got to figure out a way to get in between the obsession and the allergy to stop that cycle. Okay? So I come into the program, and the first thing it tells me is that I have to admit that I am powerless over food. Back to the dictionary. Admit. Come to the truth with reluctance. I don't know anyone who skips their way into these rooms. Oh, great, I get to go to L.A. and you know, change my life and look, find God and you know, do all these things and apologize to everyone. I don't know anyone who does that. I didn't do it. I, you know, if you did, please tell me afterwards. I'd like to you know, put you in the museum because uh, <laughs> I've never met anyone. And, and, uh, and it's, uh, you know, uh, so I had to admit that I was powerless over food which should have been easy, but it wasn't, and then my life had become imaginable. You know, my highest weight was at my highest professional moment. So how could my life be unmanageable? I'm making all this money. I'm the toast of, you know, this small community of Hollywood that I, you know, that I belong to, uh, and, uh, you know, everybody thinks I'm great, or so I thought. But, you know, uh, you know uh, how could that be unmanageable? But it is, because I was, it, it was all just being hung on by, by, my, by my fingernails. Then I said I had to, you know, uh, come to believe in a power greater than myself, which was not easy either, because my title at work, by the way, is showrunner, right? And the book tells me I don't know, lo I no longer run the show, so I'm either out of work or I can't, you know. Uh, but I, you know, I, I didn't think, you know, I thought I was, you know, omnipotent. And then I went, I, you know, I, I, if you're listening in at home, playing it along at home, we're about a mile from the beach. You know, I went down to the beach. I told the waves to stop. This is a true story. I told the waves to stop, and they wouldn't. And I'll tell you what. If anyone in this room can go outside now and make it sunny and 20 degrees warmer, I will start praying to you. <laughs> because until then, there's a power greater than me, and I, you know, and, 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 and I don't really, and the next step, come to believe, right, uh, 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 turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. You know, I don't understand God, and I don't pretend to be able to understand God. God is all-powerful, all completely. Yeah, I, you know, I can't understand Bill Gates when he talks, right? How am I going to understand you know, this, this power that is, is you know, in charge of everything? Now, I don't personify my God, and I don't believe in, uh, in any one religion. I grew up as a, a Jewish kid, but my parents didn't believe. They sent me to Hebrew school so they could bar mitzvah me and have a party. Uh, and, 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 and I call myself a deli Jew, you know, uh, which, is, uh, which is to say that uh, um, I can tell you where to get great corned beef, you know, but I, you know, I can't tell you what Jews believe about God. But I also knew that as a Jew that everyone else hated me, or that's at least what we were taught, because I'm a post-Holocaust. Well, no, seriously, I'm a first-generation post-Holocaust kid. So, you know... We, my parents believed the world was out to get Jews, and they had evidence to support their belief. Uh, and, and that's what they taught me. And, you know, and then I would read, you know, th these people or those people hated Jews, and these people and those people were declaring war on Israel. You know, and, and so, you know, not that I identify as an Israeli, and I don't at all, but, you know, I just knew that the world was unsafe, and that doctrine was what made people turn on, on, on me for no reason. 
So I was really anti-doctrine. I don't want anyone telling me how I am supposed to believe in a power greater than myself because I got news for you. They don't know either. You know, they may believe, but you know, the, the dictionary definition, you know, I go to the dictionary a lot, right? The dictionary definition of belief is, is uh, of faith rather, is belief absent rigorous proof. Now, I'm not here to tell you that what you believe in is wrong. I will not do that. I don't, you, what you believe in is for, is for you is great. But the Bible was written 800 years after the fact. If I started the telephone line over in this corner, by the time it got to the other corner of the room, it would be a completely different message. So I have some difficulty believing that a book written 800 years after the fact is going to be completely factually accurate. That's my belief. You don't have to share it. If you believe in the Bible word for word, God bless you, please follow it. Okay, I'm not here to tell you that you're wrong. I'm here to tell you that, from my opinion, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. It may be right, but it didn't make sense to me. So I needed to find the God of my understanding. And it's not a person. It's not a guy in a robe with a staff and a beard. Okay? It's sort of the, the creative intelligence of the universe. But what, what God, what my, you know, and I call it God because it's easy, uh, or higher power, and I pray. I don't hear back. I hear back in retrospect, but I don't hear back, you know, as, as, I'm, you know, as I'm asking for direction. Which, you know, can be a problem because I'm, you know, I'm turning my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand Him. I want some direction. You know, I want a road map. You know, and I don't have one. And, and so, I, so there's things that I do. First of all, a belief in higher power is a belief in reality, the world as it is. I lived in fantasy for many, 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 many years. The world as it is, is part of my belief in higher power. So I get to actually see the world and myself for what they are. The next thing about my belief in higher power is that my higher power wants me to get better. My higher power wants me to see the world and see my own defects and improve upon them. You know, humility isn't thinking less of yourself or even thinking of yourself less. Humility is understanding your faults and having a true desire to overcome them. That's what humility is. And I didn't make that up. It's in 12 and 12. So, I have to you know, come to a belief in a higher power, uh, higher power, power greater than myself. But the, it, also in the 12 and 12, it says, When forced to choose between death and a spiritual life, we took pause. I want you to think about that for a second. Death or God, and we had to think about it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here. We had to think about it. When I think about that, I'm absolutely amazed that I did that. When forced to choose between uh, you know, a, a slow, painful, humiliating death as a compulsive overeater or coming to terms with a higher power, I had to give it thought. I had to stop and say, which way do I want to go? And I really had to do that. And that's how I look at everything in my program now, from that, from that lesson, which, by the way, didn't come on day one or day seven. It came about a year or two, or two ago, when I, I think was doing the steps for the third time, when I read that and said, that makes no sense to me, to pause, take pause or go to God. But everything I do now, I look in those terms, because I'm either walking towards death or I'm walking towards recovery. Every choice I make, what I had for lunch today, I could walk towards death or I could walk towards recovery. What I do when someone tells me something and I don't want to tell them the truth because it makes me uncomfortable. I could walk towards death or I could walk towards recovery. So that's my every choice I make now. And I, I, I can't say to you that I stop and say death, recovery, death, recovery, because I don't necessarily do that. But I have to think about all my choices in those terms. Basically, it's God or donuts. 
right? That's really what it is. It's God or donut. I have no other choice because I have this disease. I don't want this disease. I don't know why I have this disease. I mean, I could look back at my, you know, my, you know, my family tree and probably see a couple of reasons, but beyond that, I don't know why. Okay, but why does it matter? Why is it like a rocking chair? I go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and I end up in exactly the same place I was when I started. And if I found out the answer, I probably wouldn't want it anyway. So, God or donuts is, 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 is the choice for me. And I'm going to skip ahead to step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, right? the result, doesn't say I'm going to get abstinent, doesn't say I'm going to get thin, doesn't say I'm going to get smart, rich, or happy. It says I'm going to have a spiritual awakening if I do everything as instructed in these books. Why do I need a spiritual awakening? Because the only thing that stands between my obsession and my allergy is my higher power. For me, the only thing that, gets in the, that breaks that cycle of allergy and obsession, allergy and obsession, allergy and obsession, is a higher power. And I have tried everything. Okay, I, you know, and I could go through all the litany of diets. You've all been on them. Okay, I didn't do the pregnant women's urine because I got lucky that day. I was sick or something. But, you know, I mean, I did everything else. I quacked doctors. You know, uh, you know, I asked my doctor to, to prescribe a particular pill for me, and he said he wouldn't do it because he heard that it hurt your, uh, hurt your heart valve. A year later, people were dropping dead from this drug. You know, God stepped in to save me, even though I didn't know about God or believe in God at that moment. But he put me on a protein-sparing fast instead, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, uh, and, and it worked, by the way. I lost 80 pounds and then gained 100. But, you know, it worked when I was doing it. <laughs> so, the best way I can describe it, you know, I recently took my, uh, my kid to the allergist. And she had a bunch of tests. And the allergist explained that allergies are like a bucket. Right? You think of like a, a bucket. Like, you, you, if you ever mop a floor, you have a bucket, right? And into that bucket go all the allergens. Now, when he's talking about a physical allergy, he's talking about pollen, and she's allergic to olives and strawberries and cat hair and whatever else she's allergic to. And when, it, when the allergens get to the level of the bucket and spill out, that's when you show the physical symptoms, right? That's when you get, you know, your runny nose and itchy eyes and all that other stuff. Well, I look at my disease as the same way. I've got a bucket, right? And the aggravations of life would pile into that bucket. And when that spilled over, that's when my obsession to eat really kicked in. Okay, and that can be anything, by the way. That could be the guy driving next to me. He's driving too slow. He's an idiot. He's driving too fast. He's a maniac, right? It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> right? I'm going to find the fault in anything because i got a great mind. I can magnify anybody's faults, and I do, or did. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, it could be the guy didn't give me a job, or I'm broke, or, you know, or, or the girl said no. Or again, and uh, you know, and whatever else it might be, you know, it 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 it, it just piles up in the bucket and it spills over. What this program does for me in practical terms is it gives me a tap to put into the bucket. And so, you know, and here's a perfect example, okay? Um, yeah, and by the way, the God and steps four through eleven, you know, doing the inventory, seeing who I've harmed, identifying my faults. Asking God to remove those faults, making a list of the people I harmed, going out and making amends to them, which I did, which was really embarrassing, because I stole from people and had to tell them, you know, and then carrying the message, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, I forgot one, take, continue to take personal inventory when I'm wrong, properly admit it. That all keeps the bucket from filling up too fast, but occasionally it still fills up. 
you know, the other day I had a business thing, or the, in the past couple of months I had a business thing where they kept leading me along and asking me to do more work for free. Well, I really wanted this job. I really wanted this gig, so I kept doing it and doing it, and then finally they said, no, you're not qualified. And I said, what do you mean I'm not qualified? I was, why wasn't I qualified six weeks ago when you started asking me to do all this free work? And I got really, really resentful. And let me tell you, that bucket filled up like that. Okay? But instead of eating over it, I, I felt it for a day or two. And then I went to a couple meetings, and in the meetings I heard, if you have a resentment, make, write a letter to the guy who's resenting you. And, and, and you'll see what the resentment's about. So I wrote the letter, and it was, it, the letter was entitled F-U, right, but not F, the full word, F-U, and the guy's name, which I will not repeat here because I doubt he'll ever hear this, but just in case. <laughs> anyway, so F-U F blank, right? And so uh, I, I write it off, and I'm proud as hell. I send it to my sponsor. The minute I hit send, I said, what's your part? Because I wasn't talking about my part. I was talking about his part. What's my part? Everyone, you have a part in everything. What's my part? And my part was that I wanted it so badly that I went headlong without getting, without making a deal, without getting an, uh, a, a non-disclosure agreement, all the other stuff you're supposed to do in business. I didn't do because I was desperate for the gig and I really wanted it. That was my part. And by the way, that was not the first time I did that. So I need to see the pattern. I need to see where my fault is and ask God to remove that fault from me so I can do better next time. You know what? Next time I may do better, I may not, but I'm going to go into it armed with the knowledge. And that allowed me to take the tap and open it and let some of that spill out so it doesn't come over the top. You know, I use the tools of the program. I call people. I read. I write. I go to a lot of meetings. I don't do this because I love being in you know, dank, dingy rooms in churches, because remember, I'm a Jew. I don't like churches to begin with, right? <laughs> I don't do it for that reason. I do it because I need to do it, because it teaches me, you guys teach me how to get through these things. Because if I, you know, if I don't get through these, if I don't turn them over to a higher power, I am going to eat over them. It's not a question. It's a fact. For me, it's a fact. If I don't treat myself for my allergy and my obsession, I am going to eat. I am going to die of this disease. And so, all right, so now we're here. Now what do I do? Right? So I drew up a list of aspirin foods, and I lost a bunch of weight, and everything was great, and then I started to gain weight. I didn't know why. Well, because dinner became between 6 and 7, not, you know, a food, but whatever I could fit in between 6 and 7 was good. Seconds, thirds, whatever. I heard a guy talk about sober eating. Right? We have to eat. People say, oh, alcoholics, they can put the plug in the jug and they don't have to worry about it. We have to take the tiger by the tail three times a day and they'd be absolutely right. We have to eat. But we don't have to eat like that. Okay? I was ferocious eating. And, you know, we've all heard the stories. Garbage cans, frozen foods, foods that were too hot and burning your mouth. I did it all. Sneaking foods, hiding foods, did it all. I ate like it was my last meal and it might have been. Okay? It might have been. And, and it was ugly. It was nasty. It was not a pretty sight. But I have to eat like that. So, sober eating, according to these folks that I've thrown in with that, that practice sober eating, is learning not what I don't eat just, I still have to know what I don't eat, but also how do I eat? What do my meals look like? How many ounces of protein? What kind of vegetables? What kind of fruits? Do I eat bread? Do I not eat bread? You know, I mean, all these things. And I can't trust myself to make these decisions. 
See, if my intuition got me to 335 pounds, a lying, cheating, sniveling, not-so-nice guy. I'm going to use another word, but I'm in front of a microphone. Uh, right? That's where my intuition got me. So I, I can't trust that. So I need another human being. So everything that goes in my mouth gets reported to somebody else. Any change in my plan. Now, I don't call them up in the morning and say, I'm going to have chicken for lunch and beef for dinner. And then if I change, I have to call them. But any change in plan, you know, of the amount of protein or the order in which I eat my meals and snacks, I have to get somebody else's permission. Because I can't trust myself. I just can't do it myself. And I, I see people out looking at it and going, that's, that doesn't sound like anything I want to do. That's freaking hard. And yeah, it is hard. It's hard, but it's humbling. But it's not humiliating. Humiliating is being pointed at and being called a name. You know, I had an argument with a guy a few, a few, uh, a few, uh, a couple of years ago, right after I lost the weight. And he looked at me and he called me a bald bastard. And I looked at him and I said, thank you. And he said, thank you. I said, you didn't call me a fat bastard. Because that's what anyone would have called me. I went to uh, Malaysia once and kids were coming up and literally sticking their finger in my belly. Okay, literally sticking their finger in my belly. I don't have to, that doesn't happen to me anymore. That's hard. Asking someone else if this is the right thing to eat, not as hard as that. It's just not as hard as that. Uh, also, people, I hear people talk about yellow light foods, right? Two things, my opinion on yellow light foods, two things. One, well, three things. One, I'm from New York. I never met a yellow light. I didn't drive right through it. <laughs> two, why, why is a food allergic in my, out of, uh, in my house but not allergic out of my house? I never, I, I don't understand it. If you have your like foods, I'm not telling you to stop. I'm telling you my opinion. I don't get it. And, and th- uh, uh, well, I don't even remember what three is. I just don't have your like foods. Uh, I, I live life cleanly, as cleanly as I can. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's got, got you know, can, can make improvements. I live life cleanly as I can, and that also keeps the bucket from filling up. So on a day-to-day basis, I get to not fill that bucket up, or if the bucket gets full from outside influences, I have ways to deal with it. I can pray. I don't really meditate a whole lot, but I could do that. Uh, I could call a fellow. Uh, I could, you know, I find that talking about it takes the power away from it. Okay, I could do that. I, I, I just have so many tools that you guys have taught me. Uh, you know, when I go to meetings, I carry around a little book, and I, if somebody says something that touches me or makes sense to me, I write it down. If I find myself in trouble, I pick the book up and I go through it. It helps me. It helps me. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, in the book, it said I, the first thing I heard in the, that I wrote in one of these books was, uh, uh, if I'm because I think I'm a pretty bright guy, and sometimes that's not good, by the way, because I can outsmart myself a lot. Uh, and, and the woman said, if I'm so smart, why am I praying to his plate of spaghetti? <laughs> and, and that really stuck with me. If I'm so smart, why is food my higher power? And it was, because I couldn't stop. Last thing I'm going to say uh, is, uh, you know, I've been watching a, a, I've been binge-watching a TV show, and I don't even like the term binge-watching, by the way, because of what it connotes to me. But that's what everyone calls it. So I've been binge-watching this show, and in the show... The, one of the guys told the story, and I think it's very apropos to what we do here. He says, the guy's walking down the street, and he falls into this hole, like a sinkhole, like the one up on Laurel Canyon from last week. He falls in this 20-foot deep hole, and he yells, help, help. And a doctor walks by and sees him and writes a prescription, throws it down, says, take two of these, and you'll be fine. And he walks away. And he says, well, that's not any help. Help, help. A priest comes by, writes out a prayer, throws it in. He says, pray this, pray, say this prayer, my son, everything will be okay. 
So he said the prayer, he's still in the home. So he's going, help, help. And a friend of his comes by, looks down in the hole and jumps in. And he says, what did you do that for? Now we're both in the hole. He said, I've been here before. I know the way out. So thank you guys for showing me the way out. Thank you for having me show. Okay. Sorry for the emotional outburst, but it, 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 does, it does move me. I guess I have time for a question or two, as someone just said. Sir. I'm curious, have you ever been to other programs like CBA Now or FAA? Uh, I once went to an FA meeting by accident. Uh, they kind of corralled me and kept me there. Uh, uh, I, I know about CAA How I, and, and, uh, and FA, uh, but this is really the program I found recovery in. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times people who do the sober eating you know, that, we, that I practice, we're compared to people in CAA How because our eating is rigorous, but not quite the same. Everyone's got to do the same thing, thing that uh, my understanding of CAA How is. So uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience uh, in either of those other programs. No? Anyone else? How do you explain the physical allergy being in uh, uh, Bhakti says the physical allergy but your emotions like contribute to what you eat? Well, the, the, the but I'm sorry, yes. Uh, she said, how can I compare the physical allergy uh, with the emotional uh, you know, allergy, stuff that I talked about in the bucket? Well, the physical allergy is what happens. You know, the physical allergy gets tweaked. The obsession starts is really what it is. Because for me, it starts with the obsession. Eat and you'll feel better. And then I start, you know, I, I don't choose to eat a carrot. You know, I choose to eat a candy bar. And then once I get that, that allergic food, that sugar or that, that, that flour, I'm off and running and I want to eat more and more and more and more and more. So the reason I talked about the bucket wasn't that I'm filling the bucket with food. I'm filling the bucket with my emotions that when they spill out, tweak my obsession. I spend my life trying not to tweak my obsession. You know, I, I'll, I'll sit next to somebody at a restaurant and they're ordering something that I'd really like to eat. Like, for instance, I'll be specific, French fries. I've given up French fries. I haven't had French fries in seven years. I miss French fries. I like French fries. They don't like me. And I'm going to obsess over them and keep eating them if I start. But I like them. And so if I'm looking at this guy eating French fries and they look good, he's going, oh, my gosh, he's great. We all have experienced that. Oh, my gosh, you got to eat this piece of cake. I don't have to eat that piece of cake. Because if I start eating that piece of cake, A, I'm walking towards death, and B, I'm going to want the whole cake, and then the next cake, and then three more cakes, and I'll break into a bakery, and I'm done. <laughs> you know, and, and so, so it's, it's when the emotions spill over, I've got I've to get them back into the bucket before the obsession takes over, because ultimately, if I don't, if I don't have spirituality and I don't go to God with it, I, it will spill over, I will start to eat, and I will be down that path again. Anyway, I think that is my time. Thank you guys for listening.